Welcome back everyone to the Kick-Ass Class Podcast. It's a wonderful life. Now, many people are torn on this classic Christmas film. Some love it, uh, some can't stand it. Um, and some people I know haven't even seen it, right? But I happen to think it's one of the greatest films of all time. And when you consider the mental health epidemic that we find ourselves in the moment, I also think it's a very important film. And there's so much to love about It's a Wonderful Life. But perhaps what I love best is that it goes well beyond that surface level feel good um, that most Christmas movies provide. And when you actually look at it, it's a fairly dark film, right? What most people don't know is that both the star of the film, Jimmy Stewart, as well as its director, director uh, Frank Capra, were both struggling with reacclimating themselves back to civilian life after their time serving in World War II. Now, this is the third year in a row um, that we'll be using the film as the subject of our Christmas podcast episode. And I wrote the accompanying blog for this, uh, I think going back you know, five, six, maybe seven years. And I revisit it every year. I, I do slight edits to it as well, um, but I love this movie and I love the lessons of it. You can check out the blog at moreclass.com. That's more, K-L-A-A-S.com. Um, I repeat this because I think people need to hear it. I repeat the, the story of this, of this movie um, and the lessons because I think people need to hear it. So in today's episode, we're digging deeper into the lessons of the classic film, It's a Wonderful Life, because it is, even when it seems as if it's not. So here we go. Now, if you remember, the film opens with an exchange between two senior angels in heaven, and they're, they're talking about a job on earth that they need to send an angel down to assist with. So they call upon a junior angel, and his name is Clarence, right? And Clarence has been an angel for a while, um, but he has yet to earn his wings. He's a bit of a, a, a bumbling angel, um, but the senior angels, Joseph and Franklin, they think he is the right man or rather the right angel for the job. And if he succeeds, they promise Clarence, hey, Clarence, you do this job and you will finally earn your wings. Um, but that's not really the important part as we open up the film. The important part is actually the first three lines and they are as follows. They say, Clarence, a man on earth needs our help. And Clarence says, well, is he sick? And they say, no, worse. He's discouraged. So I'll repeat it again. A man on earth needs our help. Is he sick? No, worse. He's discouraged. Now, there's a lot of great lines uh, from the excellent script of It's a Wonderful Life, but I find no more memorable nor poignant reference to the hidden danger of discouragement than those lines, right? And despite traditional perception, um, you know, It's a Wonderful Life is a dark movie. It's a story of a man seeped in bitterness, resentment. Um, he is seeped in jealousy, right? He's known to fly into fits of rage around his family. You know, he is a father, right? He is a husband. He's a community leader. And from the outside, um, those that don't see these dangerous and destructive parts of him, they think he's a rock. He's a rock of the community. Everyone looks at George Bailey and says, that is a man um, that we can depend upon. But in the film, we find that George Bailey is struggling so much that he thinks the world would be better off had he never been born. He thinks that the world would be better off if he weren't there, that people around him, all these people that admire him and depend upon him, he actually thinks that their lives would be better had he not been born. And ultimately, he attempts suicide. He, he, tries, he tries to kill himself. So had It's a Wonderful Life been made today, perhaps we'd consider it you know, an, an important independent film, one that challenges the stereotypes of mental illness. 
but it wasn't made today, right? It was made right after World War II when America was, was riding high, right? We were in the rebirth of the American dream. Um, and when you look at the dark undertones of the film itself and consider all that was going on in America at the time, it's a wonder that the film was even made at all, right? And some people know that it also was not a hit immediately. It did not become a popular film until many, many, many years later. So it's interesting to think of how we see it today, um, this, you know, this, this light and happy move, movie, because it's not. It's, it's a dark movie with a great message, right? We can learn so much from it, but it's a dark, it's a dark movie. Now, I think what we're seeing in the story, as well as the progression of George Bailey and its actor, Jimmy Stewart, is actually the story of pain and performance, performing under great pain. So great performances in art um, and sport, right? These are things that we see uh, all the time. We hear legends you know, of, of these stories, right? Um, we can think of Brett Favre um, and the great game, the miraculous passing display he had against the Oakland Raiders the day after his father died. Or you can go way back into history and look at Shah Jahan's commission of the Taj Mahal. And he did that after the passing of his wife in childbirth, right? Those were great performances for people that were in the midst of great pain. Now, in the case of It's a Wonderful Life, many people don't know that Jimmy Stewart had just spent two years as a bomber pilot and a squadron commander over the skies of Germany. Um, this was his first movie that he was making since he returned home and back to Hollywood. And unknown to most people around him, uh, to the audiences, and even the film critics, was that Jimmy Stewart was struggling. He was suffering from a severe case of PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. So during his time overseas, he was a bomber pilot, and he had flown over 20 combat missions. Now, the fact that he survived it all is a miracle in and of itself, right? Life expectancy for bomber pilots was next to nothing, um, and he had made it through uh, 20 missions, right? Um, and hundreds of men around him, his friends had been lost. And he was also carrying this immense guilt because there was one tragic air raid mistake that they had in which many civilians had died. And he was part of that, right? Jimmy Stewart was known uh, for playing the everyman on camera in films, often inspiring the common people. But when I look at this, I don't think that he was trying to inspire anyone outside of really just himself. I think he was looking for redemption, if only in his own mind, as he was trying to recover from all these experiences he had in the war and really this loss of idealism as well. So what is it about pain that helps people perform, right? I think all of us who've experienced pain know that it has a grip um, and it is unyielding, right? But surprisingly, we find that often those battling great pain are high performers. You can think of athletes, right? Uh, law enforcement, members of the military. These are all people who are able to adopt a laser focus under pressure. And even though they are in pain, they can still perform at a high level. But what about you, right? What about us? <laughs> Do you know people in your own life, family members, uh, people at your work or in your community, they seem to have it all together, right? These are the steady eddies of your life who you can always depend upon. Well, I imagine that some of those high performers are also people that if you dug into it, are people that are battling with great pain and they're struggling, but they use that to perform and no one else is able to see um, all of those hidden demons that they have um, that they're really struggling through. And that can be a very dangerous thing to not have recognition of that. So. I have a friend um, and he told me a story 
a couple of years ago um, that I believe encapsulates this very well. So his daughter was pregnant and there was an emergency during the pregnancy and she had almost died, right? They had been at the hospital. Um, he was awake for almost 48 hours straight during this entire ordeal, um, exhausted. And finally, and fortunately, it looked like all was going to be okay, right? And the doctors um, gave that assurance. Um, and then given how long everyone had been there and the emotions, right, they insisted that he go home and rest. But what happens, right? He gets home and rather than sleep or rest or settle down, he all of a sudden feels this incomprehensible desire to go outside and wash his car. And it made no sense, right? Considering all that they had just gone through um, with his daughter almost dying um, and all of these emotions, right? Um, it, it didn't make sense that he would go outside and wash his car in this moment. But later, you know, he thought about this more and he came to this conclusion that really what he was experiencing, what he was experiencing was this innate need to accomplish a simple task. That after being in a situation which he felt he had no control, right? He had no control what was going to happen with his daughter. His mind needed a very simple and fail-safe task like washing his car uh, to give him a brief moment of sane command um, and control once again, um, even though he was in this season of uncontrollables and in this season of fear and pain. So let's go back then to the opening line of the film, right? They say, George Bailey, he's not sick. He's discouraged. He needs our help. He's not sick, though. He's discouraged. And if we look at the definition of discouragement, we find that it means a loss of confidence or hope, right? Discouragement is dispiritedness. So Jimmy Stewart, um, when he went off to fight the war, he was already one of Hollywood's biggest stars. He had just won the Academy Award uh, for the great film, The Philadelphia Story. If you haven't seen it, Philadelphia Story is an amazing movie, right? He was 34 years old. He was um, uh, at the height of his career. Um, and he returns three years later and he looks 50, right? You can go up and look this up and look at, you know, what he looked like coming back. He was traumatized, right? His body was the victim of guilt, trauma, and near starvation that all of our soldiers experienced overseas. And just because he was a Hollywood star, there was no difference to that, right? He came back a different man, you know, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, right? And while his body slowly recovered physically, right, just like his character in the movie George Bailey, um, he was still fighting the same enemy in his mind, right? And that was discouragement. He had shattered confidence in idealism. He had loss of hope, right? He was dispirited. And no matter how perfectly he could perform, and for him, that was whether on film or in a plane, right? Um, George Bailey, right, his character, no matter how perfectly he could perform in his job, um, no matter how perfectly they could try to perform and have control and how perfect everyone else saw them, they in themselves only saw negatives, right? They looked in the future and they didn't see a future. They had lost hope, right? So we all know um, that in, in It's a Wonderful Life, um, the theme of the film, right, George Bailey is offered a gift. And it's a rare, strange gift. He's offered perspective to see what the world would be like had he never been born, because that's his wish. He tries to kill himself and he tells God, I wish I had never been born, or he tells the angel rather, right? And he is able to see the lives of all the people around him, all the people who he unnecessarily, probably and, and un, unnecessarily carrying the burdens for, he sees what their lives are like 
without him, had he never been born. And one of the most haunting moments of the movie comes when George is visiting the graveyard with his guardian angel, Clarence. And it's here that he learns that his younger brother, Harry, had died. So if George were never born, George would never have saved his younger brother, Harry, from drowning in a frozen pond when they were kids. That's uh, one of the early scenes in the movie. And because Harry had drowned, he never would have grown up then to be a fighter pilot in the war, right? This is fiction at this point, but he had never grew up to be a fighter pilot in the war. And he had won the Medal of Honor for his role in saving hundreds of other soldiers' lives. And George is sees this and realized, well, had I never been born, then Harry never would have lived. And had Harry never lived, then other people also would have never lived as well. And what was interesting and, and, and very sad, right, about this part of the film is that in real life, Jimmy Stewart himself was haunted by the fact that during the war, he happened to be grounded on a day in which 130 men who flew in his squadron had died in one single air raid mission, right? And he couldn't forgive himself for this. He couldn't forgive himself for not being with them. Um, now, whether he could have saved them or whether he felt he should have died with them, he was carrying this immense guilt. And I find it very interesting that you have that in his personal life as though, as, though, as you consider what was happening in the film. And perhaps the irony there was too much for him because he almost quit. You know, they're about halfway through filming the movie and Jimmy Stewart um, was talking about walking away from acting and from the movie altogether, right? And fortunately, he was met with friendship and he was met with perspective from his co-star, the great Lionel Barrymore, who in the movie, um, of course, plays his, his nemesis, um, uh, Potter, Right. But Lionel Barrymore was a great actor, one of the greatest actors of all time, um, is actually the, the grandfather of Drew Barrymore. People are familiar with that. So now there is a moment of frustration um, offset. And Jimmy Stewart was confiding and venting to Lionel Barrymore about how silly he saw this prospect of continuing this career as an actor. Right. He just thought that was ridiculous, considering everything he could be doing and everything he had done. Why is he out here making art? How inconsequential it was in the grand scheme of things. And Barrymore, he listened, right? He listened to him and he simply said, so are you saying it's more worthwhile to drop bombs on people than to entertain them? Are you saying it's more worthwhile to drop bombs on people than to entertain them? And Barrymore as an actor, right? As an artist, he knew the value of entertainment on people's lives. He knew the value of storytelling for those that couldn't tell stories for themselves. Now, fortunately, uh, it worked, right? Stewart realized that his legacy was more than just his worst moments. And that while he was a gifted pilot, uh, he was a gifted soldier, um, he felt that his gifts as an actor were also important. And maybe right now for himself, the people around him, for the country, maybe it was his gifts as an actor that were needed most. And it worked. It was a changing moment for his life. He bounced back. He obviously finished the movie, right? We all love the movie. Um, he went on to have a whole second career in film. He did 50 other movies after that, but also he continued to serve. He served another 23 years in the military. And in 1968, he finally retired from the Air Force Reserve as a Brigadier General. Many people don't know that Jimmy Stewart was a Brigadier General in the Air Force Reserve. So if we can learn anything from that, perhaps it's that there is beauty that awaits us all when we move past this self-judgment over the errors of our past. So 
In the closing scene of It's a Wonderful Life, um, George is reunited with his family and tragedy is saved, right? His friends rally around him. They clear his financial debts. They pay tribute to this man that from the outside had seemed so measured, right? Someone who was so meaningful to others, someone who was the last person they'd ever thought would be battling demons of discouragement and be thinking of taking their own life, right? They celebrate this man and they lift him up and they bring him back. But the final lesson of the film comes as everyone is singing and they're singing um, a classic song, Old Lang Zing. So if you know the movie, they're singing Old Lang Zing. And there's a line in the song that says, let's drink a cup of kindness. And I find it so poignant. Let's drink a cup of kindness. Um, the bell on the Christmas tree rings and his daughter reminds George that every time a bell rings, an angel gets their wings. And George opens up a book that Clarence had given him uh, a Mark Twain book. And he opens up the first page and there's an inscription in parting words of wisdom. And these are the last words of wisdom of the film. And it says, no man is a failure who has friends. So no man is a failure who has friends. So that's it folks. I hope that this is meaningful. Uh, regardless of where you are right now, I believe that there is a guardian angel watching over you. And whether you have earthly friends or heavenly, you do have friends. And remember that no man is a failure who has friends. Your life has meaning. Merry Christmas.